Gosh, I hope you can be part of Love in Action. In, well, that starts next week, right? Oh, man, this is so much fun. Uh, I've been looking forward to it as it's been planned, and, and, uh, and so I hope you get to be a part of that. So much fun. And they, you can sign up online for specific events, so I hope that you'll do that uh, through our website. If this is your first week with us, really glad that you're here. My name is Mike, and I'm the lead pastor here at MCC. And uh, so today we're beginning a series that we're calling Ridiculous. And um, I don't know, I, so I wanted to ask this question. Have you ever seen something, either in person, live, or maybe online, and thought to yourself, huh, that's kind of ridiculous? Uh, and so, for instance, something like this. Have you ever seen this and said, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen? And by the way, if I ever find one, I'm going to buy it for my child, right? You ever seen something like that? Or this, check this out. So this isn't just, I mean, this is, this is a hat for winter. Is that, look at that. Wait, look, is that, look at that mustache. Is that not awesome? Would you not, I've got to get one of those. Uh, this, on the other hand, is a royal hat that was worn to a royal horse race, to which I would say, no. Um, I, you know, I see stuff like that and I think, Wow, you have got to be kidding me. That is the definition of ridiculous, by, which, by the way, the defin of definition of ridiculous, deserving or inviting derision or mockery, absurd, right? So, that's what, so what we're talking about over the next several weeks is what is it about us as Jesus followers, that people who are watching what we do and how we live our lives, what is it about us, what, what we believe God has called us to, that might not make sense to them? You know, some of the words that we attach to the idea of ridiculous, that others might attach to some of the things that we do, laughable, absurd, comical, funny, hilarious, silly, ludicrous, senseless, foolish, foolhardy, stupid, half-baked, harebrained, cockamamie, cockamamie, uh, Mimi, cockamimi, cockamimi, crackpot, idiotic, preposterous, nonsensical, or outrageous. Are there things that we do that others might look at it and say, uh, yeah, that seems to describe it. And if there are, what are those things? Well, the first thing I want to talk about uh, as we get into this is this whole idea of loving God. Uh, the way we love God may seem kind of ridiculous uh, to people. So what is it? about worship that would seem ridiculous. And I wonder if the perception that some of your friends have uh, who know that you go to church on Sunday are like the little boy who asked his mom if she could remember the highest number she'd ever counted to. <laughs> and his mom, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't know that I can. Do you, do you remember what the highest number is you've counted to? He goes, yes, 5,632, which she thought was a lot because that's kind of a strange number to stop at. And she said, well, how, how, why did you stop at that particular number? And he said, well, church was over. Did you know that one of the top answers, one of the top reasons given by people to why they will not go to church is because it's boring or irrelevant to their life? And so if worship equals boring to your friends or irrelevant to your friends, certainly it would seem ridiculous to them that we would even be together this morning, right? Like this and being ridiculous in a bad way. And I want to say this, worship is ridiculous, but not in a bad way, right? So to make sure that we're all on the same step as we start off on this little journey, check out on your notes what worship is. Worship means to fall on your face or bow down. Uh, actually, it's found more than 170 times in Scripture. And uh, it, it means we recognize our place before God and we acknowledge His position before us. So worship 
in essence means understanding who he is and who we are in relationship to him. That's what worship is, okay? It's recognizing God and his position in our lives. And just so you know, it's way bigger than what happens in this room. And it may seem a little ridiculous. Paul paints this picture in Romans chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Romans chapter 12. Or if you have your smart devices, you can go to the Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app. And not only will you find these verses there, if you go to the events tab, you will find uh, the notes for this morning there as well. There's two pictures that Paul paints in Romans chapter 12 about worship and what it is. And it may seem a little ridiculous to our friends. So check this out. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, Paul writes this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, because this is your true and proper what? Worship. So, we're, so he's talking about worship, right? Okay, so do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, because his will is good and pleasing and perfect. And it's by the grace that was given to me that I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Rather, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. Because just as each of us has one body, but many members, and these members don't all do the same function. So in Christ, we, though we are many, form one body. Each member belongs to all the others. So in what he's just written in those five verses, actually, if your Bible's open, it's eight verses where he's, he fleshes this whole thing out. But there's two pictures that, that make our worship perhaps seem a little ridiculous, especially if we live this out. And here's the first one. My worship may seem ridiculous to my friends when I see myself as a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. That's what Paul says. Which, by the way, is a concept we, we may not be totally uh, aware of, maybe a little foreign to our 21st century American minds, because I don't know about you, when I think of sacrifice, I think playoffs. I think bases loaded, right? Pop fly to the outfield to score. That's what I think, or a well-laid bunt in the game. That's what I think of. Or, or sometimes as we get closer to Thanksgiving, I think of, you know, not having a second helping so I can have dessert. That's sacrifice, right? To get to dessert. So it's a word in our everyday vocabulary, but those aren't the images that would have been conjured up in the minds of the people who were reading this letter from Paul. His readers were well acquainted with sacrifices, annual sacrifices, sacrifices in worship, sacrifices at feasts, sacrifices every day in the temple. And if we saw an actual sacrifice, I wonder if most of us wouldn't be horrified According to Homer's epics, when the Greeks sacrificed an animal to the Olympian gods, the procedure went something like this. This is what he wrote. After the washing of hands, grain was scattered about, its throat was slit, and afterward it was flayed. Slices from the thighs wrapped in fat were burnt on the altar amid libations of red wine. So if you try to picture that, what he's talking about, could make you a little sick. A bleeding lamb, a sharp knife slicing of the jugular, a warm rush of blood, a last feeble moment, movement, sudden release of life. It is appallingly uncomfortable. It's pretty much opposite what we shoot for when we think about atmosphere, right? When we come together for worship. And I just want to say, if it's uncomfortable to watch one, it would be incredibly uncomfortable 
to actually be one. And when I thought through what this would be like, you know, in real life, it took me back to a story, and some of you who uh, have read the Bible maybe know some of the Old Testament stories you may be familiar with, this Old Testament story, first book of the Bible, it happens in the book of Genesis, chapter 22 is where I am, Abraham is being tested, his faith is being tested by God, Abraham is over 100 years old, when he was 75, he was promised a son by God, and for 25 years he waits, and then finally, when he's 100 years old, his son is born. And Genesis 22 says that sometime later, so it wasn't right away, but at some point later, God tests Abraham. And he says to him, take your only son, Isaac, the one you love, and and take him to the top of this mountain and sacrifice him to me. Now, if you've never read any of those stories, I just want to say real quickly, God did not allow Abraham to carry this out. This is not part of worship to God. In verse 12, uh, God stops him, lets him know, listen, I'm just, I'm testing your faith and, and, and you've come through. But, I, but have you ever wondered, if you, especially if you know this story, what was Abraham thinking when he placed his young son, hands and feet tied onto the altar with his son's question ringing in his ear? His son asked, but daddy, where's the lamb that we're sacrificing? And he places him on the altar. What, what is he thinking? My little boy, all of the plans that I had in mind for what he would do, all of the plans that I had in mind for him and what he would become, they're all gone because I'm going to obey God and I'm going to offer him as a sacrifice. And again, just to be clear, God stops the process. He was testing Abraham's faith. But that's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying that if we're going to worship God, our worship is to climb up on the altar ourselves and allow our lives to be a living sacrifice for God, which means, by the way, that everything that you'd planned you would do and everything that you planned that you would become as as you move through life becomes subject to who God says you will become and what God is calling you to do. Paul writes, this is your spiritual act of worship. That's what worship is. And this is on your notes, I believe. Worship is more than what we do in this room. But it's who we are outside of this room. God is teaching us that worship is the way we live, not just the way that we sing. Which is why, by the way, in the book of Hebrews, we read things like continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. It doesn't mean go around singing all the time. Psalm 34 says, praise to the Lord will be on my lips at all times. It's always on my lips. Listen, these verses are telling us not just to come here and sing to God all the time, but but Scripture teaches that we are God's sanctuary. We are where He dwells, and that we worship God when we continually make choices based on His will for our lives. You know, it's the attitude of the, the Gurkhas of Nepal. Tim Bowden, in his book, One Crowded Hour, tells about an incident that happened in Borneo during the confrontation between Malaysia and Indonesia. It happened back in 1964. A group of Gurkhas from Nepal were asked if they would be willing to jump from transport planes into combat against the Indonesians if the need arose. And the Gurkhas had every right to decline the request because they'd never been trained as paratroopers. They'd never done that before, so they didn't know how to do it. Now, the Gurkhas usually agreed to anything. They would do anything, but On this occasion, they said they would not. And then the next day, 
One of their NCOs sought out the British officer who had made the request and said after they had discussed it amongst themselves, they would be prepared to jump under certain conditions. The British officer said, what are the conditions? Nagurka said that they would jump if the land was marshy or reasonably soft with no rocky outcroppings because they were inexperienced in falling. The British officer considered this and said the dropping area would almost certainly be over jungle, so there wouldn't be any rocky outcrops, so that seemed all right. What, was there anything else? And the Gurkha said, yes, there is. They want, we want the plane to fly as slowly as possible and no more than 100 feet above the ground. And the British officer pointed out that the planes do fly as slowly as possible when they're, you know, uh, dropping troops, but to jump from 100 feet was impossible because the parachutes wouldn't have time to open from that height, to which the Gurkha responded, parachutes? You didn't say anything about parachutes, but if you give us parachutes, we'll jump anywhere. Uh, which, by the way, is a living sacrifice. When you understand what God's calling you to, you say, yeah, anything you want, anywhere you want me to go, anything you want me to do, God, I will do that. You see, your spiritual act of worship doesn't begin in this room. It begins with the way you love your spouse if you're married. It begins with how you love your children if you have children. It, it, it begins with how you love your neighbors and how you love the person who serves you in the restaurant. It includes your financial and recreational decisions. In other words, what you do with your money in your free time. Paul's writing to us that it's, not a, it's a matter of not conforming to the patterns of the people who live around us in the world, not trying to live up to their standards. There's only one standard we all try to live up to, and that's this life that God is calling us to. It's not just about changing your actions. It's about actually changing the way we think about things, because as we do that, our heart will change, and God will continue for the rest of our life to change our heart until we move to his address. When we get to heaven, we'll be changed one more time, and that'll be great. Until then, we're in a constant state of change. In Ephesians 2, Paul reminds us that we're saved by grace through faith. And it's not because of anything that we did. It's this gift of God. It's not, not works. You, you didn't earn it in any way because, so that no one can boast. So it's not, what, it's not what you do, right, but who you become that makes you this living sacrifice, holy and pleasing um, to God. And it's a process that will include struggle and pain and cost. So the struggle occurs if you see God as some holy Santa Claus who's just waiting to give you gifts all the time. Or if, you're, if your view of God is that he's this divine grandpa up in the sky just hoping everyone has a good time here on earth, if that's how you see God, any cost to following him will seem like more than you should have to pay. But when we understand that God is interested in the choices we make every day and the motives that drive the choices that we make, that before we ever darken the doorway for worship here, that we are to be the light of the world in our lives. When we worship God with our lifestyles Monday through Saturday, that's when we're ready to worship him by singing together in this room. And when our, when our private lives are transformed by the Holy Spirit, our corporate worship will be as well. Listen, every good Jew knew that you do not go into worship empty-handed. You always brought a gift to God. And today that should be true as well. We should always come bearing a gift to God. But the gift that God wants is your heart. The sacrifice he wants is you. 
And that's when we'll know the truth of what David said in the Old Testament. He said, I'm not going to offer a sacrifice to God that doesn't cost me anything, which may seem ridiculous. You can get something for free and give it to God? That's the deal. And David said, it's not the deal. That makes it cheap. I won't give God something cheap. It has to cost me something, which is, of course, you know, ridiculous. Second picture that Paul paints in our verses in Romans is an indicator that's found in verses 3 to 5, really verses 3 to 8. Paul says that just as each of us have one body and many members, right, and those members don't all have the same function, so we who are many form one body. So our worship becomes ridiculous when we see our worship that part of it is being a functioning member of one body. So as a congregation of individuals, instead of seeing ourselves that way, we see ourselves in the spiritual, literal sense that we are the uh, presence of Jesus in our communities. That's what being a living sacrifice is all about. And again, it's not just the weight of verses 3 to 5, it's the weight of verses 3 to 8. And it all hinges on one word in verse 4, right? So we see that Jesus is the head of the church. Paul's, that's his picture of the church throughout the Bible, However, when we get to uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 4, it's this word here. In this body, we're, we're not just members of the body, we're this, but function becomes the, the key word, the word that everything else hinges on. And again, this is all throughout Scripture. In Hebrews chapter 13, we read this, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. Look at what they say next. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such what? Sacrifices, God is pleased. That's what he's looking for, is how we live our lives in front of other people. What kind of sacrifice is God pleased with? Not just what with what we offer him in this room. Although, I did, listen, the praise of our lips, seriously, what dad doesn't like to have their children sit around and sing? Who, especially songs about him. And we know that God is pleased with us being living sacrifices. It's about who we're becoming. But this verse reminds us that not only is God pleased with who we are becoming, but also what we're doing for others in his name. That's worship to God. Not just that we're part of a body but that we function out as individuals, we function as part of this body, which by the way is exactly opposite of what we read about in the Old Testament when God says he's displeased with the Jewish people. Isaiah 29, these people worship me with their lips, but their hearts, they're far from me. They come in, they sing, they listen to the scripture and the message and they, the prayers and then the communion and the offering, but their minds are a hundred miles away from what they're doing in this room. How does that happen? May I suggest it happens that when we believe worship only occurs in this room and we live however we want. <laughs> because if we don't stay close to God outside of this room, when we walk in here, we're going to sense the distance when it comes to singing to him. That's the result of people who gather to sing to God, but not to do what he wants with their lives, not to be involved with the cause of the kingdom. James chapter 2 says this, my friends, what good is it if, uh, for one of you to say that you have faith if your actions don't prove it? 
Is that the kind of faith you think that can save you? Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 5, in the same way you should be a light for other people. Live so that they will see the good things that you do and will praise your Father in heaven. Richard Foster wrote a book called Celebration of Discipline. It's somewhat of a classic for the faith. And he wrote this, if worship does not propel us into greater obedience, this is on your notes, by the way. If worship does not propel us into greater obedience, it has not been worship. Just as worship begins with holy expectancy, it ends in holy obedience. Worship enables us to hear the call to service so clearly that we respond, here I am, send me. If you have listened to old Christian music, there's a guy uh, who used to sing Jeff Moore 100 years ago. Uh, There was a song that he sang that said, a heart to God and a hand to man. Here begins the healing of our land. And frankly, that's what Paul is saying, because it can't be either or, it has to be both and. A heart to God, a living sacrifice, and a hand to man, the functioning members of the body of Jesus. It's, it's what we're talking about with love in action. We move into the community in the name of Jesus and serve people in his love. I like this prayer. O Lord, I don't expect to ever have the faith of Abraham, nor do I, O Lord, expect to have the leadership of Moses, nor the strength of Samson, Samson, or the courage of David, or the gentleness of Joseph, or the wisdom of Solomon, nor the fire and zeal of Paul, nor the great love of Francis of Assisi. But I do expect, O Lord, I do expect you to call on me someday. What is your will, I will do. What is your command, I will, I will obey with joy. And if it's a small task, I will do it well and praise your name. And if it is a great task, O Lord, I will not fear because you are always with me. And I will not fail you, O Lord, for serving you is what I seek. That's not a bad prayer. It sounds kind of worshipful to me. So I read a story about a man who went to the dentist. He's supposed to have a tooth removed. The problem was every time the dentist would begin to clamp down and pull on the tooth, uh, he, would, he would clamp down on the instrument, close his mouth on the instrument. So in desperation, after several times, the dentist told his female assistant, if he bites on the pliers again, pinch him. Just reach down in the back of his chair as far as you can, and with your fingernails, just let him have it. He'll be so surprised, he'll open his mouth, I'll pull the tooth, and we'll be done. The man did exactly as they assumed he would. He bit down on the pliers. That assistant reached back and pinched with authority. He opened his mouth. They pulled the tooth, and the doctor said to him, see, that wasn't so bad, was it? And he said, no, but I had no idea the roots went so deep. (laughs) I want you to drop your guard for just a moment this morning to hear this. Worship goes deep in our life, deeper than perhaps you think, because it's more than something I do. Look at your notes. Worship is a result of who I am and is part of what molds me into who I will become. That's what worship is, not just in this room. It's our lives. It's what occurs away from here. We bring all of that back into this room, but it's why every week we stop in here to remind ourselves, to remember who we are. Because you and I, we're people who struggle with sin. We wrestle with it, sometimes day by day, sometimes moment by moment. 
we wrestle with sin, but we are the people who are saved by grace. It's okay that we wrestle with sin because Jesus' blood, his grace saves us. We're the ones who love God and quite frankly are loved by him. And we are the ones who worship, not just what we do in this room, but by how we live our lives. And so this time of communion draws us back. It helps us remember. I don't know if you're familiar with the Salvation Army or not, William Booth was the founder. And someone once asked him what, what the secret was to his amazing Christian faith. And Booth said, I told the Lord that he could have all there was of William Booth. That's what this time reminds us of. We know that Jesus gave his life for ours. Our time of communion reminds us that we have given our lives back to him. And listen, if you've come here this morning and you've never given all of who you are to God, the Bible says we do that in our baptism. If you've never drawn a line in the sand and said, from this day forward, I'm not gonna get it perfectly. I'm not talking about sinlessness. We all struggle with sin. But from this day forward, I will be called by his name. And I will be a child of the King. If you've never done that, we'd love to help you with that. Just see me after this service. We will sit down and talk about what that is. Please let us help you with but this time where we hold the emblems that remind us of Jesus' body that was broken and his blood, the juice that reminds us of his blood, pulls those of us who are followers back to that moment we made our commitment to him that every day our life would be an act of worship before him. And so we do it again today. Let's go to him in prayer. God, thank you for who you are and who you've called us to be. And that every day, if we will allow you, you will continue to mold us into the image of your son, Jesus. That we would begin to look more like him and think more like him and act more like him. In the eyes of those around us, we become the image of the body of Jesus, as Paul wrote, because we've made our life a living sacrifice, because our faith is something that we are, not something that we do. So God, may this moment where we hold these emblems in our hand that remind us of the incredible price that was paid for our sins, may we remember we belong to you. And our prayer is that our life would be an act of worship before you. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.